Dragnets. The Jack Benny Program. I'm that man. Matt Dillon, United States Marshal. George Burns and Gracie Allen. Good evening, friends of the Inner Sanctum. We offer you Escape. Our Miss Brooks. Suspense. Richard Diamond, Private Detective. Fibber McGee and Molly. The Great Gildersleeve. Yeah. Radio Theater. In the air. Dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. You know what our call letters WGN stand for, don't you? WGN Radio Theater. The special three-hour presentation with Carl Amari and Lisa Wolf. All right, about seven minutes after 11 p.m. here on the WGN Radio Theater, program 400 in the series. It's June 30th. It's a Sunday night. To my right, the vivacious one, Lisa Wolf. What's up, Lisa? Hey, Carl. Congratulations on 400. We've uh, we've made it. We've made it to 400. <laughs> so far, we're still so good. we're still here, <laughs> and uh, we have uh, two special guests in the studio. Dan Jaffe, the CEO of Oil Dry Parent Company of Cat's Pride, and Dave Weiske, VP Customer Success of uh, Oil Dry and Cat's Pride. What's up, guys? How are you? Good to see you. Good to see you. And have we sponsored all 400, or did we yes, start a little late? all 400. All Day 400. One. Great. Yes. Mike Costello's here as well. What's up, Mike? How hey, are guys. you, sir? I'm good. And uh, in just a little bit, we're going to give away another year's supply of Cat's Pride kitty litter, thanks to Dan and Dave. But first, guys, I wanted to uh, welcome you to the show. Uh, congrats on 400 shows as well, and thank you for being our main sponsor here on the WGN Radio Theater. Tell us a little bit about our main uh, sponsor, Cat's Pride. Yeah, I would be happy to, and uh, this will be our second year being the exclusive cat litter sponsor of what's known as Clear the Shelters, which started back in 2015, and during that period of time, over 256,000 animals have found their forever home. Last year, which is our was our first year being that exclusive cat litter sponsor, uh, we found uh, 102,000 animals their forever home in over a thousand shelters and so we're very proud of our work with that as you guys all know because we've been talking about it your loyal listeners will know about our litter for good program where every time uh, a consumer purchases a green jug of cat's pride fresh and light we donate a pound to a shelter across america and last year 2018 we donated nearly five million pounds to over a thousand shelters and we're hoping to uh, beat that pretty significantly here in 2019. And so far, we're off to a great start. Humanitarian uh, cause, Cats Pride. But uh, also, not only do you do great, great things to save cats uh, and dogs all across the country, but you also have the greatest product because it's green, it's lightweight. And uh, tell us all about the, uh, the the bullet points of why you should be switching over to Cats Pride. Sure, and the green isn't actual I, color I was just of the product, that, Dan. exactly. But, <laughs> but, but it's green for two major reasons. We we put it in a green jug because uh, the fact that we have always known the consumers use cat litter by volume, meaning they put in two and a half or three inches. So to the extent you can deliver that volume in less weight, meaning more porosity, more more pores to absorb, which don't weigh anything, our product which is in the exact same size jug as the leading brand, weighs half 
the pounds. So so the, the competitor is 20 pounds. We're in the same jug, and ours weighs 10 pounds. Well, why that's green is because you can put twice as many units on a truckload, so you cut the carbon footprint almost in half, which is a big deal, as we know, to, to all listeners. Right. And uh, it's great to get these trucks off the roads. It's great to clear up the distribution centers for the retailers, and then ultimately it's great to reduce that carbon footprint. It reduces your back pain, too, carrying it from the... <laughs> The cart or to your, your shoulder house. or your knee or whatever <laughs> you might have. I can't think of any reason to purchase any litter other than Cat's Pride. I mean, we've got a superior product and a generous company. Why would you pick a different product? You know, if you hate your cat, I guess. <laughs> that might be good. Or if you actually want to give them green cat litter. No. <laughs> but no, if you love your cat, you're right. I can't think yeah. of a reason. No, I really can't. And I think everybody who has a cat has a reason that they have a cat. So I'm going to go with they actually love their cats. You know, and plus, uh, Dan and Dave here, they're our main sponsors. They've been our sponsors from day one. Yeah. They uh, Dan is a huge Classic Radio fan. He's a Classic Radio Club member. He loves Classic Radio. We've known each other for many, many, many years. And we he's a big suspense lover. And so when I got this show, he's like, you know what? We're going to be the main sponsor. We're going to sponsor the show. So they're, they're bringing you these programs, folks. Uh, I ask you to do me a favor. Do the show a favor. If you have a cat, switch over because you're not only going to get a superior product, you're supporting our sponsor, and uh, you're saving cats and dogs' lives with the Litter for Good program. Tell us a little bit about Litter for Good. So for the Litter for Good program, which is great, I mean, it, again, it's running hand-in-hand with the Clear the Shelter program as we talk about what the whole objective is. And we're talking at this juncture, we have got almost close to 3,200 shelters that are registered on our website. So you go to catspride.com, you nominate a shelter, and literally for every green jug you buy, we donate a pound of litter. And we don't package a pound and send it to that respective shelter. They accumulate pounds over the course of time and then we basically get a buildup of um, pounds that ultimately turn in the form of uh, pallets of cat litter that we send over to them which is outstanding now the significance of that is if you are sending all these millions and millions of pounds of cat litter to these shelters they don't have to spend any money on cat litter and that money now helps to save and get that cat or dog uh, a home Yeah, and it redirects, again, the capital dollars that they have to put to maintain the facility, their structure, and and really their day-to-day operations. And we've seen some great examples of where they've diverted that cost um, to some great things. Let's talk about where you can find Cat's Pride. So switch over, folks, and here's where you can find it. Yeah, and before we go to where you can find it, I want to also talk about our new artwork because it's phenomenal. So I want you to go to www.catspride.com and check out uh, what we have out there is love at the heart of our bright new look. And it's a, it's a whole new look. So when you go out there, you'll be educated, again, of what the old look is and what our new look is. So when you're out in the store and you're looking in respective areas, it's uh, uh, it's really awesome. It's, I like it. You're, really you're wearing the logos right here. I like I have it. A, I have a question for you guys. Is from one of our listeners. I know you have other products besides the Green Jug. Can you tell me what some of those are and how they differ from the Green Jug product? 
Sure. So, you know, the green jugs are the ones that participate in this program. And uh, while all of our jugs are very good, uh, products are very good, they're given the absolute best performance, best odor control, best absorbency, and uh, least tracking. However, our other products are also very, very good. It's like a good, better, best program. So if you see it in a white jug, and those are very good sellers, because what that allows us to do is hit a really hot price point. Mm-hmm. So uh, the white jugs will be more what you'd call a popularly priced or value priced uh, item, which is very good, but it'll compete at that price level. And then a step up where you're getting more quality and you're getting this donation made would be the green jugs. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. So where can you find it? So you can go ahead in, in the local brick and mortar, Walmart, you can go out there, Woodman's, Albertson's, and, I, and I'm thinking here locally, Jewel. Uh, in the Chicagoland area, and as you reach afar, get into Texas, H-E Butt, um, out of the Pacific Northwest, Winkle, it's like almost everywhere in Florida, which we've got to reach with this great bandwidth for Cat's Pride Nation. We reach down to Florida uh, for WGN, and Publix is a huge uh, supermarket down there. And then for online, you've got Chewy.com and Walmart.com, where we're out there readily and available. Folks, switch over to Cat's Pride in the Green Jug. You'll be doing the show a favor. You'll be doing yourself a favor and your cat a favor. And, uh, you know, another generous thing Dan and Dave do, they come here every month, uh, usually the last Sunday in the month, and we give away an entire year's supply of Cat's Pride kitty litter to one of our lucky listeners and uh, that has sent in a picture of their kitty cat. So we're going to do that right now. So drum roll, please. There it is. Okay, we've got a winner. All right. And our winner is Holly Lampfers, her cat Fuzzy, and she's from Loveland, Colorado. Now, wow. How about that reach? Wow. Again, Holly Lampfers, her cat Fuzzy from Loveland, Colorado. Congrats. Way to go. Thank you, guys. And uh, how generous. You both are. Thanks so much for uh, sponsoring the show. And uh, we're looking uh, for good and big things with Cat's Pride. New logo. Check it out. Go to catspride.com, see the new logo, and buy the product. And I just want to mention that if you would like to be entered in our drawing for next month for July, you can send in a photo of your cat with your name, your cat's name, your city and state, and email it to catspridephoto at gmail.com, and you too will be entered. And uh, maybe you'll just be a winner for our July drawing. And Dan, was there something about uh, an upcoming television show or something? Well, the Clear the Shelters is in part partnership with NBC. So these ads will be running. They're going to do all sorts of public service announcements and, and ads that will both be running on their website, but also on TV. And yeah, NBC is very supportive of this So program. look for the new TV commercials? Is that yes. what it is? Yes. Fantastic. Well, thanks, guys. Great to see you. And in just a few minutes, we're going to tune in to the CBS Radio Workshop. So stick around. All right. It's time now for our first classic radio show, the CBS Radio Workshop. It was an anthology drama series. Came to radio in 1956. It was billed as Radio's Distinguished Series to Man's Imagination. And it was a revival of the earlier Columbia Workshop and used some of the same writers and directors. And we had dramatizations of works by Robert A. Heinlein, Sinclair Lewis, Edgar Allan Poe, Frederick Pohl, James Thurber, and many other luminaries. And it had the best L.A. actors on it, William Conrad, Elliot Lewis, Paul Fries, Hans Conried, and others. Well, with 4th of July right around the corner, Lisa, I thought we'd play 
the Battle of the of Gettysburg. It was a drama done on the CBS Radio Workshop, June thirtieth, nineteen fifty seven, and it stars Raymond Burr. Let's tune into part one now of the CBS Radio Workshop from Hollywood. The CBS Radio Workshop. In a larger sense, we cannot dedicate, we cannot consecrate, we cannot hollow this ground. The brave men living and dead who struggled here have consecrated it far above our poor power to add or detract. The world will little note, no long remember what we say here, but it can never forget what they did here. The CBS Radio Workshop, dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind, presents William N. Robeson's production of Gettysburg. It began 94 years ago, tomorrow morning. Gettysburg, before July 1863, was known only to its neighbors. It was neither a place for battle, nor a place for immortal oratory. Gettysburg, before July 1863, was a sleepy Pennsylvania village, hemmed in by the rolling green ridges of the Appalachians, and crisscrossed by several dusty farm roads. It is quite difficult to think of it now, as it was then. Only the monuments remain, and the yellowed pages of the report. Gettysburg, 94 years ago today, was warm sun and ripening wheat, and a strange, quiet expectancy. Today we heard that the rebels were crossing the river in heavy force and advancing onto this state. No alarm was felt until Governor Curtin sent a telegram directing the people to move their stores as quickly as possible. Sally Robbins Broadhead was a teacher who lived on the Chambersburg Pike near the center of the town. Day by day, as the rumors she heard grew into reality, Sally put them down in her diary. June 20th. The report of today is that the rebels are at Chambersburg and are advancing on here. June 21st. Great excitement prevails and there is no reliable intelligence. One report declares that the enemy are at Waynesboro, 20 miles off. Another that Harrisburg is the point. June 22nd. The report now is that a large force is in the mountains about 18 miles away. General Robert E. Lee had planned his invasion for two important reasons. To feed and supply his troops on the bountiful harvests of the north, and to lure the Army of the Potomac away from his native Virginia. And now, as he neared Pennsylvania, Lee needed Jeb Stewart, the dashing cavalry officer, who, frisky as a mischievous colt, rampaged through Maryland, tearing up the tracks of the B&O. 
On the same day that Jeb captured a federal wagon train at Rockville, President Abraham Lincoln appointed George G. Meade to replace Fighting Joe Hooker as commander of the Army of the Potomac. That day was June 28th. June 28th. About 10 o'clock, a large body of our cavalry began to pass through town. I hope they may catch the rebels and give them a sound thrashing. June 29th. Quiet has prevailed all day. June 30th. We were told that a heavy force of our soldiers was within five miles, and the rebels, learning that a body of cavalry was quite near, retraced their steps and encamped some distance from the town. It begins to look as though we will have a battle soon, and we are in great fear. Sunrise, July 1st. General Henry Heth, at the head of a column of infantry, advanced down the Chambersburg Pike toward Gettysburg. His mission most unmilitary in function, but nevertheless vital to the success of the Confederate campaign, was to find shoes for the barefooted men of the Third Corps. Where Willoughby Run flowed under a covered bridge a mile and a half from Gettysburg, General Heth halted, watchful, uncertain, observing the terrain, to his right was a cover of woods. Union forces could be there, waiting in ambush. Heth had to be certain. He ordered the woods shelled. It was here that the first shot of the battle was fired. I got up early this morning to get my baking done before any battle would begin. I had just put my bread in the pans when the cannons began to fire, and true enough, the fighting had begun in earnest. In his headquarters at Cashtown, Lee had heard the sound of battle and had hurried forward to Gettysburg. Heth supplied his commander-in-chief with a full report. Lee seemed satisfied. He cautioned, however, that a major battle should be avoided until all southern columns had converged. That afternoon of July 1st, there was the fire and confusion of a major clash. On the Union side, cannoneer Augustus Buell remembered seeing the Confederates coming. First, we could see the tips of their color staffs coming up over the little ridge, and the points of their bayonets, and then the Johnnies themselves coming with a steady tramp, 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 and with loud yells. For seven or eight minutes ensued, probably the most desperate I ever raised between artillery and infantry at close range without cover on either side. They gave us volley after volley in front and flank. We gave them double canister as fast as we could load. The very guns became things of life, not implements, but comrades. For a few moments, the whole rebel line, clear down to the Fairfield Road, seemed to waver. And we thought maybe we could repulse them single-handed. But the second line came steadily on. The ordnance sergeant gave the order to limber to the rear. The 6th Wisconsin and the 11th Pennsylvania behind us, having begun to fall back down the railroad track toward the town, turning about and firing as they retreated. All right, that's the first portion of the CBS Radio Workshop, the Battle of Gettysburg. Uh, John Daner doing the um, hosting, narrating on that, but a bunch of great actors, including Raymond Burr in the cast, from June 30th, 1957. You know, the quality of that show is uh, sort of 
is an example of the quality you will get when you are a Classic Radio Club member, because this is a direct-from-master recording, digitally remastered by the great Mike Costella. Uh, and Mike, um, kudos to you, because the quality of this show is amazing. Thank you. And all of the Classic Radio Club shows that go out to our members of the, of the Classic Radio Club get this kind of quality, because we have, uh, we are working with the people who created these shows and their estates, and we get the master recordings. I have about a hundred thousand shows, most of them from master recordings, and we choose ten shows each and every month. And we uh, send them to members of the Classic Radio Club. Um, and that can be you, folks. We have hundreds and hundreds of our WGN listeners are, are members of the Classic Radio Club. Now, the first month, we, uh, we have a very special offer for you to experience the Classic Radio Club at only $1. You will get shows like Abbott and Costello with the Who's On First, Suspense, Sorry, Wrong Number, Gun Smoke, Have Gun, Will Travel, Inner Sanctum. Um, Gildersleeve, Fibber McGee and Molly, Escape, some great, great programming the very first month you join. So if you join now, you will get those 10 shows, and then next month you will get 10 more shows. You can get them via CD in a digi- in a uh, collector case, 10 shows on five CDs, only $1. For the CDs, you do have to pay shipping and handling, but you can get the same 10 shows for only $1 sent to you via digital download. And you will also get copious liner notes that I write about each and every show. You will get detailed liner notes on the shows, and it's all at the Classic Radio Club website. Just go to ClassicRadioClub.com. We'd love you to join. All right, uh, quick break, then it's more on the WGN Radio Theater. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Thank you, Vic. It is 11.39 here on a Sunday night. We are listening to a June 30th, 1957 episode of the Battle of Gettysburg on the CBS Radio Workshop. Now here's the conclusion. As the fiery sun settled behind the Pennsylvania hills and dusk settled over the village... Battle-weary men, many of them wounded, straggled through the streets of Gettysburg. General Abner Doubleday was among them. This is how he saw it. They, the men of the First Corps, walked leisurely from the seminary to the town and didn't run. I remember seeing Hall's battery and the 6th Wisconsin halt from time to time to face the enemy and fire down the streets. We lay on our arms that night among the tombs of the village graveyard. So suggestive of the shortness of life and the nothingness of fame. But the men were little disposed to moralize on themes like these and were too much exhausted to think of anything but much-needed rest. In the Confederate camp, hot southern blood went to southern heads. The younger officers insisted on striking at once. Follow up the advantage. Give no quarter. But Lieutenant General Ewell hesitated, remembering that Lee had said a general engagement must be avoided until all the corps of the army had converged. And while Ewell diluted his valor with discretion, the Army of the Potomac got its second wind. (laughs) 
It was sometime after midnight, July 2nd, when Meade reached Gettysburg. He established his headquarters at a shabby little farmhouse on the left of the tiny town road. There, he could view the rugged terrain that gave his force a natural defense. For during the night, the Federal Army had added the names of Big Round Top and Cemetery Ridge and Culp's Hill to their war map. By morning, they would be well dug in. Of course, we had no rest last night. Part of the time, we watched the rebels rob the house opposite. It was a moonlight night, and we could see all they did. The cannonading commenced about 10 o'clock this morning, and we went to the cellar and remained until it ceased. General James Longstreet eyed the menacing heights of Cemetery Ridge. He had no taste for the battle that was taking shape. Any fool could see that Gettysburg had become Fredericksburg in reverse. Brigadier General John B. Hood reported to Longstreet. General Lee was seemingly anxious you should attack this morning. He remarked to me, The enemy is here, and if we do not whip him, he will whip us. You thought it better to wait the arrival of Pickett's division at that time still in the rear in order to make the attack. And I remember you said to me subsequently while we were seated together near the trunk of a tree, The general's a little nervous this morning. He wishes me to attack. I do not wish to do so without Pickett. I never like to go into battle with one boot off. The report minces no words. It explains the delay and Longstreet's pouting impetuousness. Although he disagreed with the tactics, Longstreet would stubbornly carry out Lee's orders to the letter. Despite a recommendation from Hood's scouts to skirt Big Round Top quietly and attack the Federals from the rear, Hood pleaded, but Longstreet held fast. General Lee's orders are to attack up the Emmitsburg Road. And so Hood led the attack. And some days later, while nursing a wound, completed his report. In about 20 minutes after reaching the peach orchard, I was severely wounded in the arm and born from the field. I shall ever believe, had I been permitted to turn round Top Mountain, we would not only have gained that position, but have been able to finally rout the enemy. Meanwhile, Robert E. Lee sat on a stump of a tree and watched the panorama of battle through his field glasses. Behind him, a Confederate band played polkas and waltzes. Before him, a cannonade played its song of death. Throughout the terrible siege, the general sent only one message, received only one report. Perhaps this was his system, to plan thoroughly with the three corps commanders, then leave it to them to modify and carry out his plan to the best of their abilities. How did the plan look close up to the scene of action? Colonel Perry of the 48th Alabama. Upon the decision of a moment depended the honor of my command and perhaps the lives of many brave men. I knew that if called upon, they would follow me and felt confident that the rocks of Devil's Den could be carried by an impetuous charge. But then what? There were no supporting troops in sight. Before the enemy had time to load their guns, I made my decision. Leaping over the prostrate line before me, I shouted the order. Forward! Charge and countercharge. On the Union side was Theodore Gerrish of the 20th Maine. Our line is pressed back so far that I gather within the lines of the enemy. 
Our ammunition is nearly all gone, and we're using the cartridges from the boxes of our wounded comrades. We can remain as we are no longer. We must advance or retreat. Colonel Chamberlain understands how it can be done. Which bayonets! The whole air roared with the conflict, but a moment since. Now all is silent. Not a gunshot sound is heard, and the silence comes distantly, almost painfully to the senses. And the sun purples the clouds in the west, and the sultry evening steals on, as if there had been no battle, and the furious shout and the cannon's roar had never shaken the earth. And how look these fields? We may see them before dark, the ripening grain, the luxuriant corn, the orchards, the grassy meadows, and in their midst the rural cottage of brick or wood. They were beautiful this morning. They are desolate now, trampled by the countless feet of the combatants, Plowed and scored by the shot and shell, the orchard splintered, the fences prostrate, the harvest trodden in the mud. And more dreadful than the sight of all this, thickly strewn over all their length and breadth, are the habiliments of the soldiers, the knapsacks cast aside in the stress of the fight, or after fatal lead had struck. Haversacks yawning with the rations the owner will never call for. Canteens of cedar, of the men of the rebellion, and of cloth-covered tin, of the men of the union. Blankets and trousers, and coats, and caps, and some are blue, and some are gray. Muskets and ramrods. And bayonets and swords and scabbards and belts, and last but not least, numerous, many thousands of men. And there is no rebellion here now. The men of South Carolina are quiet by the side of those of Massachusetts. Some composed their upturned faces. Sleeping the last sleep. Some mutilated and frightful. Some wretched, fallen, bathed in blood. Survivors still, and unwilling witnesses of the rage of Gettysburg. For the Confederates. The third of July completed a tragic cycle. There had been hesitation and loss of the heights of Seminary Ridge the first day, an assault too feeble and too late on the second, and now on the third day, dawn began to break over the crests of the hills rising out of the bed of Rock Creek. This day was to begin with an attack too early in its timing to support Lee's revised plan. Culp's Hill. There, at the barb of the Federal's fishhook defense, Confederate gray fixed bayonets and rose to the charge. 
the forces met, fused in one fighting force, fell apart at length, leaving their dying and dead. And a decision still unsettled. Behind the Confederate lines, the bitter dispute between Longstreet and Lee continued. To Longstreet, there was only one sane course now. To move around the right of Meade's army and maneuver him into attacking us. But Lee stood firm for another attack on Cemetery Ridge. The Army of Northern Virginia is not yet ready to confess repulse. The whole of the First Corps must be thrown into the new assault. And so it was. First, the review... Men standing, lined up before Lee, Longstreet, and General George Edward Pickett. Then, five hours later, in the stillness of a merciless July sun, the men heard the shot, the signal, and flattened themselves in the tall grass. The Confederate artillery thundered the beginning of the end. Two hours later, the artillery duel ceased and Longstreet rode up to Pickett. Pickett, I'm being crucified at the thought of the sacrifice of life which this attack will make. I've instructed Alexander to watch the effect of our fire upon the enemy, and when it begins to tail, he must take the responsibility and give you your orders, for I can't. Even as he was speaking, a note was handed to Pickett from Alexander. I showed it to General Longstreet, asking if I should obey and go forward. He looked at me a moment, then held out his hand. Clasping mine without speaking, he bowed his head. I shall never forget the look in his face when I said, Then, General, I lead my division on. July 4th. It's been a dreadfully long day. We know, however, that the rebels are retreating and that our army has been victorious. And for the first time for a week, I shall go to bed feeling safe. As Sally Robbins Broadhead retired for the night, as Robert E. Lee led his thin, wavering line of defeated Confederates back south across the mountains, as rain drenched the battleground debris and as black clouds settled low over the unburied dead of Big Round Top and Cemetery Ridge. So ended the Battle of Gettysburg. Two days later, Frank Artius Haskell, aide-de-camp for General Gibbon, revisited the battlefield. No soldier was to be seen, but numbers of civilians and boys and some girls even were curiously loitering about the field. And their faces showed not sadness or horror, but only staring wonder or smirking curiosity. All along through those bullet-stormed woods were interspersed little patches of fresh earth raised a foot or so above the surrounding ground. Some were very near the front of the works. And nearby, upon a tree whose bark had been smoothed by an axe, 
Written in red chalk would be the words, not in fine handwriting. Seventy-five rebels buried here. Fifty-four rebs here. And so on. Such were the burial and such the epitaph of many of those famous men once led by the mighty Stonewall Jackson. Oh, this damned rebellion will make brutes of us all if it is not soon quelled. Already, as I rode down from the heights, nature's mysterious loom was at work, joining and weaving on her ceaseless web what the shells had broken there. Another spring shall green these trampled slopes and flowers planted by unseen hands shall bloom upon these graves. Another autumn and the yellow harvest shall ripen there, all not in less but in higher perfection for this poured-out blood. In another decade of years, in another century or age, we hope that the Union may repose in a secure place and bloom in a higher civilization. And that is the CBS Radio Workshop, June 30th, 1957, Battle of Gettysburg, starring Raymond Burr. We'll have more of the WGN Radio Theater after these words. All right. We uh, listen to CBS Radio Workshop in just a few minutes. We will have news. Then it's Command Performance with Bob Hope as MC, along with Rosalind Russell, Lena Horn in that broadcast. Great episode on command performance. We will play our game, Is It Real or Is It Ridiculous?, sponsored by Cat's Pride. But before any of that, I have uh, a riddle for you, Roger. Oh, goody. Yeah, I have a riddle for you. You ready? I told Lisa this riddle in the car. Yeah. Uh, I won't tell you if she and got it or not. that's why you tell her to in a car. She can't run away. I won't, I won't, yeah, I won't tell you if she got it or not. You ready? Oh. I'm not going to tell you. All right, fine. So we'll see if you got this. All right, so a man leaves home, and he makes three left turns. Okay. And he's on his way back home. Okay. And he sees two men with masks on. Who are those men? That's the riddle. Two men with masks on? Yeah, two men with masks on. Who are those two men? Man leaves home, makes three left turns, is on his way back home, sees two men with masks on. Who are those men? Any idea? Uh, two guys he could care less about, and why is he going back home? Well, if he left Lisa home? had about the same answer. The, oh, okay. the answer is... <laughs> the answer is... Great minds think alike. What? You ready for the answer? Oh, do I have to? Should I hold The answer is the catcher and the umpire. He left home, make three left turns. Oh, look at that. It's a baseball joke. Uh, huh? Pretty good uh, riddle. Pretty, pretty good riddle. Come on, I got you on that you one. Good. Carl, what's the difference oh, between a joke and a riddle? A joke is humorous. Yeah. And right. a riddle is not. Is not. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. <laughs> You're very funny. Then you must be a joke. I must be. I must be. Ah, because you're so funny. I know. All right. Well, that's a good one, Roger, huh? 
<laughs> all right, I'll give you a yeah, good one. All right, one. come on. I'm come sure on. I heard it when I was five, but it's been a long well, time. <laughs> In fact, I'm probably older well, than that. Well, that's when this radio broadcast took place, the Battle of Gettysburg. There you go. When you were five. Yeah, when I was five. Yeah. 1957? <laughs> yeah. There it is. Yeah, you know, here's the thing, Lisa. If you want something to play, yeah, you have to you have put to hit the, the button. You have to hit the button. Good. Yeah. Well, now you, you know. Slide the fader off. You up. know what? It only took you 400 shows, so now we're good. Well, I learned something. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes it takes 400. Yeah, it does. And now we know. I have to do things repetitively too. Like you know, 400 times <laughs> into my brain. Now for 401. It's because there's so much classic radio information it's in there. It's cluttered. It's cluttered. It's very full of uh, old radio. Of, it was stuff. full of something, all full right. Of, it's a <laughs> lot full of, full of a lot of stuff. That's for sure. In this hour, command performance. You're going to really have a lot of fun with this. 1942 broadcast. Bob Hope is hilarious on this show as the MC, and then Rosalind Russell and Lena Horn join him uh, on. The Command Performance Show. But before we do that, we're going to play our game. Is it real or is it ridiculous? Sponsored by Cat's Pride. Yes, the celebrity is Kelsey Grammer. Oh, right. Yeah, we were just talking about I him know. earlier tonight. I like and him. I know you do. I like him too. And the prize is going to be a pair of lawn tickets to Ravinia on July 21st to see Ghostbusters celebrating its 35th anniversary mm. with the score played live by Chicago Symphony Orchestra. Wow, that's going to be great. Yeah, it's a great prize. All right, so what caller? We're going to go with caller number three. You can call right now, 312-981-7200. We'll be right back. Hey, Tim, how you doing? Hi, how you doing? Good, good. We're glad to have you and uh, hope you can Hi, Tim. play a little Real or Ridiculous with us. All right. Hi, Carl. How you doing, Tim? All right. All right. All right. This is all about Kelsey Grammer. Mm-hmm. Number one on Cheers. You know, he had very good diction because his last name was Grammer. Yes. Well, grammar and diction aren't really at all the same thing. Just <laughs> well, so in we're my clear. mind, they are. Grammar and right, diction. Tim? <laughs> right. <laughs> no, they are not. Tim got it. Tim got my joke. It's not. She's got to be so you know technically perfect over here. No. Miss I like the technical joke. Oh, you like the baseball riddle? Ah, uh, did you get it? Did you know it, Tim? Yes, or? I did. All right, there you go. All right, grammar and diction different. Yeah, okay. okay. Oh, Number one on Cheers, Shelley Long. It's got to be a killjoy over here. Are you here. done? You know what I mean, Tim? <laughs> no, he does not know what you mean. On Cheers, Shelley Long hated yeah. him and tried to get him kicked off the show. Oh, really? Is that, well, I don't know. I don't know. Is it well, real I don't or... know. Is it really ridiculous? What do you think? Mm. That's Hollywood for you, yes. <laughs> I think it's real, Tim. Uh, yeah, Hollywood, they're, they're evil. I'm going to agree with Tim. I think it's true. That is true. Wow. She All absolutely right. hated Kelsey Grammer. Interesting, huh? Wow. Number two, he was kicked out of Juilliard due to poor perf- poor attendance. <laughs> <laughs> real or ridiculous? Uh, ridiculous. Well, I know he did attend Juilliard. I know he did attend Juilliard. So I'm actually going to say real. It is real. Ah. That is absolutely <laughs> true. Wow. Here's for so me. There you go. And here's for Tim. <laughs> Sorry, Number Tim. three. He wrote an autobiography in 1995 called Last Words. Real or ridiculous? Oh, see, she's being tricky here. I know. R- real. I know. Real? I'm going to agree with Tim. It is not real. Oh, man. <laughs> oh. It is false. 
But, you know, you guys were so close uh-huh. on that. We did okay. And you know what happens when you do okay? Yeah. You're a winner. That's right. <laughs> and, Tim, you have won a pair of lawn tickets to Ravinia on July 21st. You are going to see Ghostbusters celebrating its 35th anniversary. That is remarkable. With the score played live by the Chicago Symphony Orchestra, Ghostbusters. Yeah. And you're going to join our very own Dean Richards, who will lead a pre-concert discussion. So congratulations to you. You'll have a great night under the stars at Ravinia in Highland yeah, Park. There you go, Tim. Thank you. You're Thank welcome, Thank you so buddy. much. I hope you enjoy that. Right. I know I sure will. Have a great night. Thanks for listening. Um, Tim's a big winner, and uh, he's going to Ravinia. Yeah. Ravinia. Ravinia. What did I say? Ravinia? I have no idea. Ravinia. Ravinia. <laughs> I don't know. It's uh, It's really bad. You know what? Is that bad grammar or bad diction, <laughs> Carl? Ravinia is a really cool place. <laughs> well, you know, I grew up you know, in Lisa Highland Park. Lisa goes so. <laughs> there. She brings four or five bottles of Roma wines, yeah. <laughs> and she just gets plastered under yeah, the sun. Yeah, that's not what, under, under the, the stars. Sun. Under, under the, the sun stars. at Ravinia, She's I bring like, Roma wine. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm on top of the radio. My name is Lisa Wolf. And I am just sat down drinking four bottles. You're bo- trying to make me look fat here. It's not going to work. Because our listeners are not going to believe wines. you. Would you like some cheese? Some cheese. <laughs> I brought some... Vegetables. I, I brought some cheese. I brought some, some kale kale to munch on for the evening. let's watch Ghostbusters. I, yeah. I think that sounds like a great evening, though. Yeah. Doesn't it? That's going to be you. What? With Four the Roma bottles wines? of Roma. <laughs> Four? Why not go crazy? Bring a few more. <laughs> All right. It's time for Command Performance. Do you know why this series existed, Command Performance? It was crazy. Nobody in America heard the shows. They, they spent tons of money. The government funded the series, Command Performance. It was created specifically and only to entertain our troops fighting overseas and uh the slogan was we're going to continue airing these shows until it's over over there but they didn't broadcast it in america and they had all these amazing celebrities donating their time and not getting paid to be on the show bob hope jack benny humphrey bogart i mean you name it they all wanted to help um, you know, entertain our trips, which was a very, val- uh, you know, valiant effort, of course. But um, I always thought it was interesting. The show was so great, and they didn't broadcast. I don't know why they didn't broadcast it in the States. But luckily, they were mostly all recorded. I have hundreds and hundreds of these broadcasts. It premiered in 1942 and ended in 1946, right after the war. You know, uh, war ended in, in 45, and this continued for a little while longer. Biggest entertainers in Hollywood, Hollywood on here. And NBC and CBS both donated their studios so that the celebrities could come in and record. Very cool. Yeah, so very you're going nice. to like this. It's uh, from a July 7th broadcast, 1942. You will hear Bob Hope as the master of ceremonies. Lena Horne sings just one of those things. Great job on this uh, show. And then uh, also on this is Rosalind Russell, a whole bunch of other people. Let's tune this in. Part one now of Command Performance.
Command Performance USA, the greatest entertainers in America, as requested by you, the fighting men of the United States Armed Forces throughout the world. Command Performance, presented this week and every week till it's over, over there. Okay there, men, right this way for Command Performance, Uncle Sam's finest show for Uncle Sam's finest fighting men. Tonight... The old command performance marquee is lighted up with one of Hollywood's brightest constellations of big stars, and the first star we see tonight gets his orders from you-know-who at Newfoundland, at Fort Randolph, at Trinidad, from 14 ships at sea, and, well, let's get him out here right now. Your master of ceremonies, Bob Hope. Hey, thank you, Paul Douglas, and hiya, fellas. This is Bob Rubber Drive Hope <laughs> telling you guys out there that we're all going to keep turning in our rubber suspenders till we've caught the axis with our panzers down. <laughs> well, everybody here is talking about the rubber drive. Back in New York, they were worried about the rubber drive for a while, but not anymore. Kate Smith finally turned in her girdle. <laughs> you should see the moon come over the mountain now, but I'm not worried... <laughs> worried about the rubber shortage. I've got four new tires, and I put them all on my front wheel. I want them to be where I can watch them. <laughs> but I want to tell you, this rubber situation is really serious. Last night, three fellas broke into my room at the Knickerbocker Hotel, jacked me up, and stole my hot water bottle. <laughs> but it's not my tires I'm worried about. It's gas. No kidding. I haven't been able to get any gas for the last ten days since my siphon broke. <laughs> of course... Of course, there's a shortage of automobiles, but I don't see anything wrong in riding horses. My grandmother used to ride a horse till the day Crosby fired her. <laughs> but... All right. Thank you, losers. But you know, everybody... People will have to use all forms of transportation. Imagine Lana Turner bouncing down the street on a pogo stick. <laughs> That's all, brother. <clears throat> But it's really great being back in Hollywood after two months in the East. First night back, I was on duty with the, all the air raid wardens in North Hollywood. They kept us busy all night, dimming out W.C. Fields' nose. <laughs> the next night, I had a date with Hetty Lamar. I was real chummy driving around in the dark. I was just about to kiss her when there was a loud explosion. I thought it was a blowout until I found out she was chewing bubble gum and I had a toothpick in my mouth. <laughs> But it's wonderful being back in town and at the studio. I just finished working in a picture with Crosby and Dorothy L'Amour. Dorothy's dressing room window faces mine. Every time, she, every time she goes up to change her costume, I go up to change mine. But she's always a shade ahead of me. <laughs> the, the picture's called The Road to Morocco, and in it, Dorothy does a great dance. She does an imitation of Gypsy Rose Lee doing the dance of the Seven Veils. It's a wonderful takeoff. And after that... <laughs> And after that, Crosby and I wander through the desert and wind up at a harem. Harem, that's Egyptian, for having a wonderful time. <laughs> Crosby and I sneak into this place and find out that it's a real Turkish harem, so as soon as I get alone with the girls, I start talking turkey. But there's a big... <laughs> I pause there, silly man. But... but there's a big eunuch there with a long-handled knife. You know what a eunuch is, don't you? That's 4F in anybody's army. <laughs> Ha, ha, ha. 
I wish they wouldn't play with my scripts. Well, this big, well, this big eunuch is standing there with a knife, and he starts swinging as soon as any dope starts getting fresh with the girls. You must come up and see my scars sometime. <laughs> in the last part of the picture, Dorothy Lamour and I do our big love scene. I'm disguised as the sheik, and I take her in my arms and kiss her. When we get through with the scene, I turn to Dorothy and say, You've just kissed Hope the sheik. Could Rudolph Valentino kiss any better? And she says, Even now, yes. <laughs> enough about us. Now to answer that May 24th letter from 18 Navy men who sign themselves an outfit in the West Indies and who say, we'll keep them sinking if you keep them singing. A little number called Just One of Those Sings by a little number who's the singing sensation of MGM, Lena Horn. Take it, Lena. It was just one of those Just one of those crazy things One of those bells that now and then ring Just one of those things It was just one of those nights Just one of those fabulous flights A trip to the moon Gossamer wings Just one of those things If we thought a bit Of the end of it Oh, we started painting the town We'd have been aware That our love affair Was too hot Not to cool down was great fun, but it was just one of those things. If we thought a bit of the end of it, for we started painting the town, we'd have been aware that our love affair was too hot, not to cool down. But it was just one of those things. Yes, sir, that's for that outfit in the West Indies. Thank you, Lena Horn, and thanks to Victor Young of Paramount Studios conducting Local 47's Command Performance Orchestra tonight. And now for the radio gang at Box ND11, for Private J.G. at Fort Cobby, and for Sergeant C.W.K. somewhere in South America, the Dean of American Vaudeville Teams, Shaw and Lee. (laughs) 
Our scene is the Tiptoe Manor apartment house. Mr. Shaw has been ordered by his doctor to get absolute peace and quiet, so he is looking at a very quiet apartment on a very quiet street. As the scene opens, Mr. Sam Lee, the rental agent, is showing Mr. Shaw through his new apartment. Everything is very quiet. Shh! Mr. Shaw, I know you're going to be very, very happy here at the Tiptoe Manor. Good. The doctor says I must have absolute rest. And not all... Are you sure it's quiet here? Oh, positive. We have no dogs, no cats, no drinking, no wild parties, and no beautiful women running into your apartment in the middle of the night. Quiet? This place is the Sphinx. It certainly does. <laughs> not so loud. Remember, this is Tiptoe Manor. Quiet all the time. That's good. I can't sleep. I've had insomnia ever since I was a little kid. A kid with insomnia? Ridiculous. Did you ever hear of the Sandman? Sure. Uh, well, what time did he come to your house? What? Right after my old man went to work. <laughs> I'll leave you now. I know you want to get some rest. Oh, by the way, there's one slight noise you may hear from time to time. One slight noise? Yeah, but it won't bother you. It's very slight. <laughs> See? That isn't very loud, is it? Don't shout. I use the Murphy phone. <laughs> very, very quiet trains. In fact, it gets so quiet around here, you can hear a pin drop. What do they use around here for pins? Crowbars? <laughs> I will leave you now to the peace and tranquility of Tiptoe Manor. Goodbye. Shh. Thank you. Shh. Mmm, he's wearing sneakers. <laughs> ah, well, here I am alone at last. What is this, Dollar Day? Come in. Uh, pardon me, buddy. What do you want? I'm the tenant who moved out of this apartment this morning. Mind if I leave this under your sink? Leave what? 483 cockroaches. Uh, I'll just leave them under your sink. What for? Well, the lease says I gotta leave this place exactly the way I found it. So long. Mm, how do you like that? 483 cockroaches. Well, this housing shortage, a man should share his room. Oh, well, now to get some sleep. <laughs> Nuts! Hello! Yeah? What do you want me to do? Just lock the door from the outside, brother. That's all. <laughs> nice, quiet place. All I need now is a noisy radiator. Thank you. What now? Come in. On approval. Who are you? The plumber. I gotta fix your radiator. Well, go ahead, but be quiet. I've gotta get some sleep. I'll be in the boudoir. The what? Boudoir, boudoir. What are you sleeping? My underwear. <laughs> All right, go ahead with the radiator. But for heaven's sake, keep quiet. Oh, don't worry about me. I'm the quietest plumber in town. Die, 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 dee. Die, 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 dee. Deep in the heart of Texas. Wait a minute. Wait, I can't stand it any longer. Drains, cockroaches, old maids, plumbers. I got a half piece. I got a half quiet. If you want to fix something, fix that big hole in the window. But there isn't any hole in the window. Well, there is now. All right, that's first portion of Command Performance. Bob Hope is MC, Rosalind Russell on there, and Lena Horn. You know, whenever I lean on a horn, it goes beep, beep. You know that, Lisa? I didn't know that. Yeah. Maybe you have one of those on your sound effects. You can do a horn sound. I probably do, but, but you don't know I only know one? the two. I know the oh, yeah. Go for it. Come All on. Right, let me try something. Try the horn. Whatever. Oh, that's so close, oh, though. Wrong one. <laughs> 
not quite it. There's not that many on there. Tom Tato. Nope, not that one. You should have prepared for this during the during the show. (sighs) It's a lot of work being Carl. I see. The thing is, I don't have my my uh, cheater Your glasses. glasses on. <laughs> yeah, so I can't read with that. Look how little the. Can I help you? I can't read that. I can read that. But I know where. Is there a horn on here, Roger? Is there a horn? Can you read that? I can't read. He's that. wearing his glasses. All right. Well, let's We're go work on this. Let's take a quick break. Then it's more of the WGN Radio Theater. Back to WGN Radio Theater with Earl Amari and Lisa Wolf. Hey, folks, in about 13 months, Lisa and I are going on a cruise to Bermuda, and we want you to come with us. Yeah. Where are we going in Bermuda? <laughs> what are the islands? We're going to St. John. No. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, St. George and Hamilton. Yeah. Right? St. George and Hamilton. I don't have any notes in front of me. I know, I can tell. <laughs> so this is off of memory, and All my right, memory so, is cloudy. So let me help you out. August 1st, yes. seven nights yes, but out this of is New York. August 1st of 2020. 2020. So this is a year from, over yeah, a year, 13 about 13 months. months from now. We're going to be aboard Oceana Cruises. Right. That's the luxury cl- cruise line. Supposedly, this, this is what they're telling me, the food, they're like known for their food. I mean, if you're a foodie... You're going to love being on this cruise. I can't wait. Um, the name of the ship is Insignia. It's completely reimagined. They've uh, fixed it up from head to toe, so it's going to be beautiful. Um, it's got four open seating restaurants. It's got a world-class fitness center and spa. It's got eight lounges and bars. And your favorite, the casino. Yeah, and here's the other thing. You know how sometimes when you're on a cruise... You have two times you can eat, like at 6 o'clock seating and an 8 o'clock seating. It's not this like that. This isn't like that. It's open seating. You just eat whenever you want to eat. And that's going to be great for you, Carl. <laughs> you I just eat a keep lot. going. <laughs> right. I'm going to be like, I'll take fourths and fifths, <laughs> please. Um, so we're going to have a lot of fun. I think it's really great that we can have a trip where we can just enjoy some relaxing time on the ship. Or you can choose to do some of the shore excursions on the islands. Either way, this is going to be a great cruise because Carl... Carl will be there, and I will be there. And we're going to make it fun because it's not only a great cruise to Bermuda, but it's a classic radio cruise. So we're going to have a lot of classic radio fun. Trivia contests. Contest reenactments. Mm -hmm. Um, We're going to have dinner with everybody, hang at the pool with everybody. Cocktail party. There you go. Lisa's bringing her Roma wines. I'm bringing the Roma wines on the Oceana ship. Mm -hmm. So we're just going to have a lot of fun. Um, You name it, we're we're going to be there. So it's August 1st, 2020, about 13 months from now. So book be because we have a limited amount of uh, cabins. We do. But we got an incredible price because of the group rate. They're starting at only eleven ninety nine per person. Could you imagine? That's seven nights, and that includes gratuities and free Wi-Fi. And some of the shore excursions. So, yeah. you know what? We don't want you to wait. We want you to check it out, look into it, and uh, mark it off on your calendar. Hang out with Carl and Lisa on the Oceana Cruise to Bermuda. So um, this is through Keen Luxury Travel. They're our agents. It's K-E-E-N-E Luxury Travel. I'm going to give you their phone number. It's 
it's 800-856-1155. And you can go to our website, WGNRadioTheater.com, click through, uh, find the cruise banner, it's on there, just click it, and it'll give you all the information you need, but we hope that you will look into it and travel to Bermuda with us What's the phone number again, 800 number? 800-856-1155. Okay, hope you're going to sail with us. Let's have some fun together. All right, let's now get back to Command Performance. Command Performance gets a lot of unusual requests. Remember the guy who wanted Carol Andis to sigh? That's all, brother, just sigh. And the soldier who asked for the voice of his favorite girlfriend, Queenie, a cocker spaniel? And the boy who just wanted to hear some Indiana farm birds again? Well, Command Performance paid off in those letters, and now here we go again from Private PWB somewhere in Australia. Dear Command Performance, I was strictly that boy who used to think the West Coast was a couple of stops past Hoboken. I'm sure getting around now, but there'll never be another place like New York. In my bunk last night, I thought, wouldn't it be swell if Command Performance could take all us guys from New York back home for a minute? And here's the way to do it. Just give us an earful of the good old hurdy-gurdy man. Your wish is our command, fella. He's coming down the street right now, the hurdy-gurdy man. Thank you, Sam. And if you're looking for your monkey, he's on a Thursday night show selling cheese. But now... But now... <laughs> uh, but now to answer a lot of mail for a certain gal that all of you know, at Fort William Davis, Sergeant B.N.P. wants her to sing for AOS of Panama. Ten men in the Canal Zone send in orders for her. The Marines at Balboa and Private J.E.E. and the sailors of Boys Town... Pearl Harbor, with an eye for beauty and talent. All these and scores more of you asked for. So, fellas, here she is, back again by worldwide command of the AEF to sing Till I Live Again, Ginny Sims. Good night Until I live again When we meet again, I won't be me until I see your charm. I'll hold my breath until you're in my arms. Good night until I live again. Oh. 
Until I live again Jenny Sims, that was beautiful, and you're mighty beautiful, too. It's the way I feel. <laughs> oh, you're really pretty. You know, that's the way with me, though. I work with so many beautiful girls like Jenny Sims, Madeline Carroll, Dorothy Lamour, and Paulette Goddard. Then at night, I go home and dream about Indians. I have the toughest... <laughs> I can't understand. I think I'll throw away my Gene Autry gun, but you know... <laughs> It was really... And now, fellas, our first complaint in 21 shows. Twelve sergeants in North Ireland write to us on May 16th and say this. Our show is wonderful except for two things. First, it's only a half hour. Second, we haven't yet heard our favorite actress. So we command you to give us Rosalind Russell. Oh, well, we'll get to it. <laughs> With 12 of us signing this letter, call it a petition instead of a command. Petition, command. What's the difference, sergeants? As long as you're happy, you better be, for here she is... Lovely Rosalind Russell. Tonight, Command Performance presents Rosalind Russell and Bob Hope in a little sketch of the great outdoors. The sketch is a sequel to the picture, <laughs> It Happened One Night, and the title is It Didn't, are seen by a country road. A soulful young poet, played by Bob Hope, sits by the roadside communing with nature. Q says, hum a strain, Hope, please. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, his reverie is broken by... Hiya, handsome. How'd you like to ride with a lonesome gal? On your way, smart Alec. I'm not interested. Uh... <laughs> now, come on, come on, gorgeous. Now, don't you play hard to get with me. Now, come on, hope in. Uh, <laughs> I mean, hop in. Well, I won't, and if you don't stop annoying me, I'll call a policeman. Oh, sugar, how about a break? Defrost. Melt. Come on, give me a tumble. I'm not in the habit of tumbling with strange women. <laughs> At these prices, especially when I don't know them. Now, scat, I happen to be very busy. Doing what? I'm a poet, and I'm writing poetry. From the look on your face, it must be blank verse. 
Oh, well, you may not know it, sister, but you're talking to America's bar to the billboards. Oh, you mean you write those funny little advertising poems on the side of the road? What else? The Burma Shave Irving Berlin, that's me. <laughs> well, have you published anything lately? Well, here's my latest, hot off the boards. For chicken dinners, beer or gas, try our service, Strictly Class. Where can you find that welcome smile? At True Williger's Tavern, a quarter of a mile. How do you like it? Well, it's not going to make Noel Coward take in washing. Well, here's one with a little more class. You will find our journey's end down the road around the bend. Tourist cabins are real delight, so do drop in six bits a night. <laughs> I just wrote that. Can you think of a good place to put it? Don't tempt me. <laughs> Now, we're wasting time. Come on, Shakespeare. Hop in the car and snuggle up closer to me. Come on. Come on, it'll do you the world of good. How? <laughs> a ride might help you in your work. You might get a few ideas. Not the kind I can put on a billboard. <laughs> now, now, look, baby. Now, let's face it. You and I can make beautiful music together. Now, do you want to get picked up or don't you? Why, I've never been so insulted in my life How do you open the door? The doors don't work Well, how did you get in there? I was born here That's the machine age for you Even the stork's working on the assembly line Crosby is the captain Now, Shakespeare, will you come on? Let's go Say, gorgeous Why don't you sit a little closer to me? Well, I'm, I'm kind of nervous Now, look, look you feel perfectly safe with me, don't you? Yeah, about as safe as a Scotch highball at an American Legion convention. <laughs> oh, you kill me, Shakespeare. Oh, if I were married, I could go for you. Well, why would you have to be married? Because you're the only man I've ever met who uh, wouldn't make a husband jealous. <laughs> now, look. Come here. Why don't you move over closer to me? Oh, what's the use? I'll move over close to you, and one thing will lead to another, and first thing you know, we'll be playing gin rummy. <laughs> oh, come on now. Now, don't be bashful. Oh, now, don't you get fresh with me. I've been around. I've learned a lot about women like you. Who from? Women like you. <laughs> now, are you going to be a nice boy and put your arm around me, or aren't you? Listen, I've never said this to a girl before, but... Yes? I think I'll get out and walk. Oh, no, you can't. Do that. You're ten points to me. I'm what? Look, Shakespeare, I'm on a scavenger hunt. If I bring in a crummy-looking hitchhiker within 20 minutes, I get ten points. Well, do you think I'm crummy enough? <laughs> it's a cinch. <laughs> now, really, but if, now, if he kisses me, I want to tell you, I get 12 points. And if he falls in love with me, I get 15 points. Well, don't look now, lady, but your 10 points are getting out of the car. No, you don't. <laughs> oh, I've still got 18 minutes left to make five more points out of you. Tell me. Have you ever kissed a girl on a bumpy road? What do you think? I got a nose like this. <laughs> well, now, come here. Now, are you going to kiss me now? Or do I have to... Do I have to run out of gas? Well, I would, but I'm afraid you might run into a telephone pole. Oh, don't be silly. I'll keep on blowing my horn. Now, hurry up and kiss me. You mean like this? Yes, yes, like this. <laughs> <laughs> Don't look now, but <laughs> you, you got a worse nose than ever. <laughs> Don't look now, but you just got 15 points.
I loved it. Encore! <laughs> Say, uh, that was swell, Roz. I certainly enjoyed being here on command performance with you. Thank you, Bob. Oh, and Roz, uh, tell me, are you really like... I mean, if a fella did go out riding with you, would you really... That is... Oh, you know what I mean. <laughs> I certainly do, Bob. What are you doing tonight after the broadcast? Me? Well, isn't that a coincidence? I don't have a single thing to do. Well, Bob, any time you want a date and a cozy tete-a-tete, there's just one thing for you to do. Call Van Nuys, 6132. Is that your number, Rosalind? No, that's the YWCA. <laughs> Rosalind Russell. Well, gang, as the Nazis say, when they see those General Grants bearing down on them, we'd better be moving along. Thanks a lot for those letters. We're mighty proud of them. You know, when we were kids in school, we used to look forward to winning our letter and wearing it on our sweater. But those letters you send in, we wear next to our hearts. This is Bob Hope saying so long from the USA. And by the way, fellas, Hitler is always talking about his spring offensive, but brother, that guy's offensive all year round. And remember... And remember, fellas, Uncle Sam will spring the offensive from now on, and after that will be the last fall for Hitler. So long, fellas. Command Performance USA, and good night from the stars you've just heard. Bob Hope. Rosalind Russell, Ginny Sims, Lena Horne, Shaw and Lee, our musical conductor from Paramount Studios, Victor Young, and Les Brown and his orchestra. Now keep sending those letters, fellas. Send them to Command Performance in care of the station to which you're listening. You write them, buddy, and we'll shortwave you the answers each week and every week till it's over, over there. This is Paul Douglas saying, the best of the best from the USA to you. That's a fun patriotic broadcast on Command Performance, July 7th, 1942. Bob Hope is Master of Ceremonies, along with Rosalind Russell and Lena Horn. Hope you enjoyed that.